Awesome job. Awesome job, fellas. Um, so a Sting classic song there to be had. Um, and uh, if you were paying attention to the lyrics or if you cheated and did a Google search like I did, um, you learned that that song is written about the end of Sting's first marriage. Okay, and you see it in the, uh, the first verse. You see this imagery of crumbling cities falling down, this ongoing battle um, between he and his wife. And after eight years, um, their marriage would end in divorce. And I know that's the kind of heartwarming, you know, rock and roll history lessons you come to church to hear every morning, right? Um, makes you just feel good. Um, but doesn't it confirm for us what we know to be true about life? That in life, there's a whole lot of unexpected twists and turns. And in keeping with our Machu Picchu analogy for today, and get ready for this, okay? I would say in life, there's a whole lot of earthquakes, right? Did you feel it? Yeah, um, that there's a whole lot of earthquakes that can hit. And don't we want to build a life that can withstand the tremors um, that hit around us? And today, as we look at Machu Picchu and these 500-year-old buildings that have stood through countless earthquakes, um, I, I want to propose something to you um, that, that what would it look like to build a Machu Picchu life? A, a life where when the earthquakes of life come your way, you're not stopped in your tracks. The walls around you of your life don't come crumbling in on your head. What would it look like to build a Machu Picchu life? Um, well, to look at that, we're going to look at this Incan Empire and Machu Picchu and three lessons um, that we can learn from them to build our own Machu Picchu life. And the first one is this, it's to look up. Okay, to look up. Um, that the Incans, they looked up and they wondered, hey, what, what is this all about, right? Like, I think we've all asked that question at some point in our lives. Like, what is the meaning of life? Like, where do I fit into this whole thing? And I think after working with adolescents for about 30 years, I think it happens at about the age of 12. We're keeping with our Machu Picchu analogy here where you decide that, hey, I'm a stone and I know I'm a stone and there's other stones around me, other people and different sizes and shapes and colors. And, and man, like, are we all just independent stones and there's nothing more? Or could there be more to life than what I can see or hear or touch? Could there be this bigger wall that's being built in the cosmos or, or not? And as the Incans tried to answer that question, and you imagine they're on the Andes Mountains and they're looking up to the skies, um, what do they encounter? They encounter the sun, the huge sun staring down at them. And the way they answered that question was, life is about the sun, because we're an agricultural society. Um, so they created a god they named Inti, I-N-T-I, and they worshipped Inti, and everything became about Inti. Their calendar, they made temples, there were uh, festivals and elaborate um, rituals for Inti, and um, when things were going well in the Incan Empire, it was like, praise Inti, right? We're like growing food, we're conquering our neighbors, um, it's amazing. Uh, but then when things started to go not so well, or they just didn't understand... There was an earthquake, a volcano erupted, a solar eclipse. They would get scared and they would say, oh my gosh, Enti is angry with us. Enti is angry with us. Things aren't going well. Um, and then they would start to try to make things right 
with God, make things right with Inti. So they would sacrifice things, okay? And initially it started pretty basic with like land and food, and then it became llamas, and then it became their children. That the Incans were known to leave their children at the top of 22,000 foot volcanoes to freeze to death. And you contrast that, the sun god of the Incans, Enti, with the Christian view of life, okay? And uh, in the Christian perspective, you don't have the son of God, you have, I'm sorry, the sun god, you have the son of God, Jesus. And where Enti demanded sacrifices to make things right, Jesus had the same goal. He wanted to make things right between mankind and God, but instead he became the sacrifice, These two gods couldn't be more different. And the Bible says this about Jesus. In Hebrews it says, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So it's saying, hey, hey, Jesus made one sacrifice, his physical body. He's crucified. Three days later he rises again, but it lasts forever Right, it's like those little stamps you buy at the post office that say forever on them, you know, that hopefully you can use in like 50 years. Um, Right, like he's saying, it's good forever. You don't need to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice like the Incans did um, because I made one and it's good for all time should you choose to accept it. But but friends, here's the deal, and it's kind of like a no-duh deal, okay, so I'm just gonna throw this out there. That's the way my brain works. Um, But it's like, well, well, that happened, or it didn't, right? Like, there's either only, there's only two options there. Either, like, Jesus really was sacrificed, or he didn't. Um, but if he was, if he was really sacrificed, if there's really an eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent being in the world, and he so longed to make things right with us, um, that, that he came to earth not demanding sacrifices, but said, hey, I'll be the sacrifice, then that's, like, the most pivotal day in the whole world, in the humanity, right, in existence. And we see that with Jesus. Um, But did it happen or did it not? Well, it's interesting. In 2012, okay, three geologists, they head to Israel and they're studying the Dead Sea, okay? And these guys aren't like Christian geologists, right, who got their geology degree from like Chick-fil-A University online, um, right? Like these are like real geologists, okay? And they go to Israel and they're studying the Dead Sea, and they take these core samples out from the sedimentary layers, right? And they're going back through the uh, centuries and the millenniums. Okay, this is a real science. They do this stuff. And they get back about 2,000 years. All right, and they're studying a certain decade, 26 AD to 36 AD, which is kind of smack dab towards the end of Jesus' life. Jesus is crucified in 33 AD. And as they're going back, they discover, right in the middle of that decade, they discover this telltale sign of just a violent earthquake. Okay, they're looking at the sedimentary layers, and in that decade, it is just violently shifted. And these guys study this. They know it. Okay, so what what does that mean um, for believing whether this happened or not? Well, when you read the account of Jesus' life in Matthew 27, it says as he's breathing his last breaths, saying his last words, there's a massive earthquake, okay? 13 miles away in Jerusalem, there's a massive earthquake that shakes everything. Everything goes pitch black. 
Like how amazing that like what the Bible says happened on the day Jesus died, 2,000 years later, three geologists discover it to be true by looking at the Dead Sea. You don't have to divorce your brain to follow Jesus. Okay, and if that's true, right, if that's true, which I think there's a lot of proof to it, there's really only three ways to answer this first question of what is life about, right? We either discover that we're a brick, and this would be the view of maybe an atheist, and uh, I'm a brick, you're a brick, everybody's a brick brick, and uh, together we're just a pile of bricks. So eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. There's nothing more going on here. Or there's the, the Incan view of life, which is like, well, hey, we're all bricks, and there's NT above us, and we're all, we're all being built into something, right? Like, do this the right order, it's not going to stand. Um, we're all being built into something, you know, because we're trying to keep NT happy, you know, and, and there's a wall, and on top of that wall goes NT, right? And, and man, you better keep him happy, or else you're going to be crushed under the weight of his glory and his power. And if you don't sacrifice the right way, you don't sacrifice the right llama, whoo, all you can do is just cry uncle as you're being crushed under his weight and his glory. And you just hope he lets up. So you make a sacrifice, your land, your llamas, your daughters, right? You're just like, please ease up, auntie. Well, well that's the second view. Well, the third view is this, and it's the Christian perspective, and it's much, much different. It says this in 1 Peter 2.5. It says, you also are living stones. So God's telling us, hey, you are stones being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's saying we're stones. There's still this sacrifice thing going on there that sounds a little... Um, suspect. Um, well, well, here there are spiritual sacrifices because since Jesus made a physical sacrifice of his body, our sacrifices get to be spiritual ones. But friends, the news gets better, okay? It gets even better. Uh, it says, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, who's the him Jesus, will by no means be put to shame. That the invitation here is, hey, you're living stones and you're, you're building a wall. Okay, I'm building a wall with your lives and it's a, it's a spiritual house that I'm building. And, and man, you do make spiritual sacrifices because you love me. But in the end, here's the difference, that in life, instead of having a God that crushes us under the weight of his power and we just have to cry out, help me! Instead, we have a God who supports us with the weight of his power and his glory. And man, these are two very, very different views of life. That with NT, to make things right with God, we had to sacrifice things and earn it. And with Jesus, the Son God, or I'm sorry, with Jesus, the Son of God, it's getting tricky. Yeah, I got um, we get to just accept it. We don't have to earn it. And friends, I know that's hard to accept sometimes, right? Because we're like good old red-blooded Americans, right? And we like beer and biscuits and barbecue and we don't take any handouts. We like claw and scrape and we earn everything. Nothing's given to us, right? I feel that. But that's just not what you see 
in the Bible when it talks about the Christian faith. It's just given. You just accept it. You can't earn it. It, it takes some humility. And that brings us to our second lesson. So you, you look up and you wonder, what's this all about? And then the Incans, they looked ahead and they wondered, hey, hey, what does the future hold? <laughs> right? And the Incans, they're smart. They thought back and they said, hey, we're on the Andes Mountains. There's lots of earthquakes. When we build Machu Picchu, what can we expect? Earthquakes, right? Like we can expect more earthquakes. So we're going to build Machu Picchu to withstand earthquakes. And look at the picture. You saw the sweet video, right? These things, they cut them so they fit together like origami puzzle pieces. If you were to go there today, you couldn't put a small knife between the cracks of those granite rocks. They're that solid 500 years later. Well, I wonder as we look ahead, like what can we expect I wonder what's in the future for us. Does God even talk about it? Does Jesus talk about it? Um, and I'm just spitballing here, okay? I'm just gonna go pretend I've never read the Bible, but what I would hope it would say, okay, is this, that like, hey, hey, Ryan, if you're a good little boy or, you know, Becky, you're a good little girl, then uh, you're gonna have happiness and health and wealth and like a head full of hair, baby, right? Like, that seems reasonable to me, um, but is that what Jesus said? Let's see, okay. And what I'm gonna read you is a redacted version of this verse, okay? And I learned that word on C-SPAN, so I'm pretty sure it's accurate. Um, but where I took out parts of the verse, we'll come back around and I'll read them to you eventually, don't worry. Um, he says, these things I have spoken to you. In this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer. That's kind of like an extra slap in the face. Um, I, I was hoping he was going to say like cheese fries, right? Like in this world, you're going to have cheese fries. Um, well, maybe, and just bear with me here, okay? Maybe tribulation's not a bad word. Sometimes words change, right? So I'm going to ask the expert, Siri. Hey, Siri, what does tribulation mean? Tribulation means a cause of great trouble or suffering. Dang, all right. Well, it still means something bad. <laughs> uh, sorry to break the news, but Jesus is saying, hey, you can expect suffering, struggle, and it's almost like this, okay? And I got a toy I'm gonna play with here on stage. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, guys. <laughs> hey, Brendan. Hey, Todd. Hey, hey, Nelson. Hey, Bill. You can expect earthquakes, <laughs> Right, like you can just expect them, they're coming. I'm sorry, but they're just coming, I'm warning you. Earthquakes on the way, okay, roger and out. <laughs> All right. He's saying you can expect them, they're coming. And, and here's what I know to be true, because I'm a realist. I know that, the, that with youth and with comfort, sometimes earthquakes don't feel so realistic, right? You're like, an earthquake will hit me when I'm like 100, right? That's when the earthquakes of life will hit. Or you're like, no, the earthquakes, they hit other people. <laughs> Not me. There's no earthquake coming my way. I totally remember that. So my 20s, okay? My 20s were so carefree. All right, let me just give you a story, all right? My wife loves to tell this story, all right? So she probably has told you already. Um, but in my 20s, I lived with some Young Life guys, and we all led Young Life, so there's like five of us dudes, you know, very bro, bro time. And uh, 
One time she comes to find me, okay, and she comes to the house and we're nowhere to be found. And she's like, where are they at? And she like looks in the backyard and all she sees, there's like trees and a pond, are kites flying, okay? She sees five kites, so she like walks around the trees, this is how my wife walks, um, and, and she gets back there, right? And in her words, not mine, right? because I'm sure it was way more masculine than this, but this is how she defines it. She says, we were frolicking around, <laughs> flying kites, okay? Woo! And it gets worse, believe it or not, it gets worse, um, because we all had our shirts off, right? Because we're trying to, like, soak up the rays, you know? And meanwhile, we're all so pale that we're, like, blinding the pilots flying over. Planes are crashing in, you know, Union, Kentucky, left and right. And, man, it was just, whoo! I mean, my 20s were so carefree, I couldn't have spelled earthquake, much less conceived one <laughs> might hit my life someday. But, but here's the truth of the matter, friends, is that youth and comfort can only insulate us from earthquakes for so long. And only a few short years later, I found that to be true. So a few years later, Becky and I are in our Third year of marriage, and we're expecting our first daughter, Lily, who's here. Hey, Lily. Um, and I get this call from my dad. We're in Athens at the time on Young Life staff, and um, I'm the youngest of three brothers. And my dad says, hey, your, your brother George died in his sleep last night. And he's 36 at the time. And let me tell you, it was like, right, like the ground beneath my family, it just starts shaking and we're holding on for life. We're trying not to let the walls come crumbling in around us, right? And then two years later, we're still struggling from that. And uh, by now we're back in Cincinnati. We have another child and I get a call in the middle of the night from my sister-in-law and she says, hey, your brother Mark, he overdosed on drugs and he's, he's gone, right? And then it's, right, the ground is just shaking, can't hardly hold on. Two years later, we come home from vacation and my parents are like, hey, we need to meet with you. And we meet with my mom and dad and my mom shares that she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And from the time she's diagnosed to the time she passes away is four months. And by now, friends, the, the ground beneath my life is just shaking, it's rumbling, the dishes in the cabinets are clinking together, right? Like the pictures on the wall are bouncing like the earthquakes had found us. And I think that, again, youth and comfort can only insulate us for so long. But what I love here in this verse is that Jesus tells the truth, right? When he says, expect tribulation, he tells the truth. That if he would have said, expect rainbows and butterflies every day, we'd all been like, you're a liar. Because <laughs> that's not the life I know. He tells the truth. And also, I love the fact that Jesus, he's like one of your good employees, right? Like he comes with a problem. Hey, there's going to be earthquakes. But then he brings the solution. Don't you love it when people bring a problem to you with a few solutions? Um, well, let me unredact the verse. Okay, it says this. It says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And here he makes two powerful statements. Don't miss them. He says, hey, in me you can find peace. 
that when the ground of your life is shaking, there's tremors underneath. If you come to me, the ground ain't moving, right? I know it ain't in a word, but the ground ain't moving because I, I made that ground. I spoke it into existence. So you can find peace in me in the middle of the earthquake. And then, well, how or why? Well, because I've overcome the world. Do you remember that earthquake that hit when I, when I was crucified? Yeah, that was me clearing the deck, okay? That was me defeating death once and for all and doing a mic drop. That the invitation here is, hey, when the earthquakes hit, you can find peace in me um, because I've overcome the world. Well, well, what does that look like, though? All right, that sounds like something nice to kind of like crochet on a pillow and throw on your couch, you know? God is peace, or, you know, I think... Yeah, it just kind of sounds cheesy. So what does that look like in real life? Well, let me tell you about a, uh, a, f- a friend here at Horizon, okay? A guy I know named Dawson Smith. And, and Dawson I've known kind of from a distance for a while. So like he's a friend, we've talked, but we're not like best friends where we're like doing each other's hair and stuff, you know? Um, but like, and, and I've always just been so impressed with Dawson. He's like many of you all. He's just a very successful guy, right? He's retired now but he spent 40 years in the medical technology field. He stayed with a company from zero dollars in revenue to a billion dollars in revenue. And and then like a few years later, 40, he retires and he tells people, hey, I'm going to focus on faith and family and fitness, okay? And Dawson's in his 70s and he really focused on fitness because I'm pretty sure he could kick my butt. Um, A very fit guy. And then a few months ago, Dawson gets the news that none of us want to get. That after testing and results and testing and results, he learns that he has stage four pancreatic cancer. And none of us want any cancer, right? Like you don't want any of the C word cancer, but there's a couple that you really, really, really don't want. And pancreatic is one of those. And what I've been amazed with kind of watching Dawson walk through this from a distance is just how he continues to live his life in the midst of it. So I was told the day he walked in to tell his men's group the news, that that he walks in and he shares what's going on, and by the end of it, he's the most hopeful guy in the room, apparently, which I totally get, because if I was his friend, I would be devastated. But he's like, you know what? I, I still, I hope in God, I trust in God. If this is what he has for me, then I'm okay with that. I'm at peace with it. In the midst of this horrible earthquake, I'm at peace with it. And I wonder, like, how does, how does Dawson do that? Like, I don't know if I could do that. I'm just shooting you straight, right? Like, I hope I have that kind of um, hope and faith. And I asked him, of course, to share his story, and I also asked him to send me a few thoughts on how he's living his life this way. And he sent me a lot, which was awesome, and I, I shrunk it down to what I could fit in here most effectively. It says, to get pancreatic cancer is a bummer. I don't want to die in the short term, but I also realize and accept whatever the next plan God has for me. If it is to pass into an eternal life, so be it. I'm not afraid, and I hope I can remain strong and be an example to others facing death in the near future. And then he says something just amazingly profound here. He says, I believe my earthly life is like a grain of sand on a beach and that I have an eternal life awaiting me. 
And, and friends, I love what Dawson shares here. I love that he's honest. He says, hey, I don't want to die, right? And he's seeking every avenue he can to keep stand here for his wife and his family and his friends, right? He's like, I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid because I trust God and I have hope even. And here's what it is. It's this wall. That if you talk to Dawson, I encourage you to do so, um, he would tell you that, hey, this is my life. Jesus is the cornerstone that supports me. So when my rocks start shaking and I find out I have cancer, this thing's not moving at all, man. And yeah, it's scary. Yeah, I wouldn't choose it. But I'm trusting. And I hope whether that day comes for me in 30 days or 30 years where I'm faced with similar news, I hope I can have that same kind of courage. It brings us to our last lesson, which is to, to look down. That is, the Incans are building Machu Picchu. I mean, look at it, okay? It is precariously perched on like the side of the, the mountain. It's 1,500 feet above the river below, and it's not on top of the mountain like a crown. It's on the side like a beret. <laughs> it's just kind of sideways, like a good old earthquake could just send it tumbling down into the river valley below. Well, it's because they looked down and they said, hey, we're not going to build on the topsoil. We're going to dig down and we're going to build on the granite. And they did that. And when they excavated the site, what they discovered is that 60% of Machu Picchu was built below ground or below grade. So when we're looking at these magnificent buildings, um, we're looking at 40%. They built 600 terraces that buttress kind of Machu Picchu up there. They're all 10 by 10. They, they hold it up there on the mountain. It doesn't move. It's like built like it's on a rock because it is. <laughs> but friends, here's the deal. If we're being honest, um, no matter where you are in this whole faith thing, whether you would consider yourself a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic or a Muslim or a Buddhist, um, if, if we're being honest, we're all building our lives on something, right? And we dig below the topsoil, there's something that's holding us up. And for some of us, it's career. It's a natural one, right? A career. For some of us, it's family. For some of us, it's uh, our retirement investment accounts, right? You're like, if I could just get another zero on the end of that count number there, I'd feel a whole lot more supported. Uh, for some of us, it's our uh, health, right? I'm gonna work out eight days a week. Eat nothing but, thank you, you caught that. Uh, eat nothing but carrots and tofu, right? I'm going to live forever. Um, well, what happens, though, when the earthquakes hit? What happens when the earthquake comes for your particular foundation? <laughs> what happens when you're into your career and you're towards the end, you're in the final quarter, and your company figures out that somebody else can do about 80% as well as you for 50% of the pay, <laughs> You know, and they're like, hey, welcome to early retirement. You know, you're like, thanks. I was going to stay for another five years. But, um, you know, or what happens when your family doesn't go the way you'd hoped it would go, right? Like, I don't think Sting was standing there on his wedding day thinking, I'm going to be divorced in eight years. <laughs> no. Um, what happens when your investment account, you, the market turns or you make some bad investments and all of a sudden that zero goes, you're like, oh, shucks. Well, your foundation's important. And here's, here's what Jesus said about foundations in life. 
He said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And you're smart people, so I don't need to explain this to you (laughs) deeply. Uh, We all know the difference between a structure built on a rock versus a structure built on sand, right? Like you you get that. You can visualize it. Um, But I want you to see it, okay? So here in a second, we're going to watch a little video. And what it is is a few years ago, I I saw an article about these houses in uh, North Carolina in the Outer Banks that are just falling into the ocean, (laughs) Literally two, three, four million dollar houses that are built on the sand, way too close to the ocean, rising waters, kerplunk. I mean, can you imagine, right? Like your two, three million dollar home staring out at the Atlantic Ocean and it just goes kerplunk and it floats for a while. So you're like, sweet, I got a four bedroom yacht. Um, But then it sinks and the waves destroy it. Um, Can you imagine? Well, for you today, as you look up and you wonder, hey, what is life all about? Um, have you arrived at an answer yet? Well, you're 20, 60, 80, like, do you, do you have an answer to that question? Um, if not, then I encourage you to chase God with your doubts. That he says, hey, if you will seek me, you will find me, okay? Or for you, as you look ahead and you wonder, hey, what does the future hold? Um, well, if, if we believe Jesus, it holds some earthquakes, like how are you prepared? And as you you look down and you wonder about what you're building your life on, I would ask you like, honestly, (laughs) how sturdy is it? Is it solid? Is it something that's not gonna shake and move or is it something that anything could change, right? Death, divorce, the market, anything. That, That friends today, as we put Machu Picchu kind of in the uh, rear view mirror and we move on next week to an amazing second wonder or seventh, I don't even know where we're at, we're somewhere, but um, the takeaway that I have for myself from Machu Picchu is this, that if I can build a Machu Picchu life, I can build an unstoppable life, even in death. And here's what I mean. And Dawson, I think, said this so well. He said, hey, when I look at my earthly life here um, it's like one grain of sand on a massive beach and eternity is every other grain of sand that I get to explore that's what's ahead of me friends a Machu Picchu life is an unstoppable life